1: Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist, and I'm on a mission to find food truth and connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture. Joining me today is a key player in our food system, a good old American Wisconsin dairy farmer, a family farmer from Kendall, Wisconsin, Joel
0: Greeno, Welcome. Hey, Melinda. Thanks for having me.
1: I'm delighted. Joel, you have been an important figure in this world of dairy production. I don't remember whether we first met in Wisconsin at the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service meeting or whether it was at the Farm Aid Conference. But I know you are the vice president of the Family Farm Defenders. You are also the president of the American Raw Milk Producers Pricing Association. And in my conversation with you, you made it very clear that Despite the price increases that consumers see at the grocery store, dairy farmers, family farmers, are not doing so well. What is going on,
0: Melinda? It's kind of a long story, but you know the short of it is that our nation's dairy farmers just aren't paid enough to make a living. And uh, you know their stories today are we're hearing numbers that each dairy farm in the U.S. is losing approximately a thousand cows per month. So you take forty cow herd, they're losing about forty thousand a month, and so on as you get bigger, a nine hundred cow herd could easily be losing nine hundred thousand a month. And and this just can't continue. I don't and, quite you know, wait,
1: I don't understand that. You mean can you explain those numbers to me?
0: Uh yes. The fact of the matter is is that the price that farmers are paid for milk falls far short of what it costs to actually produce the milk.
1: Okay. And
0: farmers have, they have no cash flow whatsoever right now, and they're relying on whatever equity they have. And we're hearing numbers that many, many farms' equity is now gone, and when your equity is gone and you have no cash flow, you are pretty much in dire straits.
1: Well, the, the data I have here from the National Family Farm Coalition says that America has lost over half of its dairy farmers in the past 16 years while prices for dairy farmers have crashed below 1970 prices. And clearly that puts dairy farmers in crisis and that it's they say that it's largely due to a broken pricing system and corruption within the dairy industry. So... How many cows do you have?
0: I here uh, milk 48 cows and oh. usually run between 40 to 50 head or so of young stock. In that So it's a, a, a lot of work and it makes for a very full day. And I often tell people that you always hear about farmers and how efficient they are. And uh, today's farmers, the only way they have to become more efficient is to not sleep. And so efficiency is determined by the number of hours you sleep. And for many of us, it's down to, you know, maybe six, five hours or so of sleep a night, if you're lucky, just because you have a certain amount of steps to make each and every day. And they always have to be done each and every day before you quit.
1: Now, you've got 48 cows that you milk yourself. Do you have anybody on the farm helping you?
0: My immediate chores, uh, graining cows, graining calves, feeding calves, feeding cows, and the milking, I 100% do myself. Uh, when it comes to field work, my dad, who turned 70 last year and, and is partially handicapped from polio in 56 and a severe back injury in 88, comes almost every day and is here today helping uh, drive tractor and do what little task he can.
1: So, what happens to your milk dole that you milk? Where does it go from your farm?
0: Eleven years ago, through all my work and efforts, I saw the need for farmers to kind of start over again. And so, through ARMPA, I called some close friends and we formed our own co op called Scenic Central Milk Producers. Okay. And we started out with uh, 16 patrons and have grown to nearly 300. And we're now the 40th largest co-op in the U.S. And another co-op that we helped form uh, in the East called Lanco is now, at the last I knew, about the 29th largest co-op in the U.S.
1: And so does that make selling your milk more profitable by being in a cooperative situation?
0: Well, not so much in just being in a cooperative. It's the type of co-op and Scenic Central and Lanco. Our co-ops that strictly market farmer's milk, they don't own trucks and equipment, they don't own processing facilities, they strictly market farmer's milk directly to a processor. In the case of Scenic Central, our accounting, our hauling is all contracted a year in advance, so you pretty much know your cost. And up until last year, Scenic Central's track record was returning anywhere from Oh, 97% of the gross sale of milk back to the farmer. And I think last year then it fell again around that, oh, 95 to 96%. And being spending only like 1% of the gross sale on milk on wages, lab fees, and accounting. And then another probably 2% just on trucking cost. Otherwise, there was nothing else to spend or waste farmers' money on. And so it was all returned back to the farmer.
1: So let's help our listeners understand then where the crisis is coming from. You are in a cooperative of farmers then. You sell your milk. Who who buys your milk?
0: Scenic Central has over 30 different buyers within and around the state of Wisconsin. So each area, those farmers' milk has a certain market and, you know, the truck's some trucks are picking up two loads a day and stuff. They'll make one route and go into one buyer and then run a second route and go to a different buyer and then the same on the next day. So it's all scheduled so that, you know, all of our accounts get serviced throughout the week and the month. And it's worked out as well as it can under the circumstances.
1: And then what happens to that milk after the buyer gets it?
0: It becomes a number of things. A lot of it goes into the cheese industry. But uh, we have... a fair amount of product that goes into the drinkable yogurt bottles, which is a a huge market, and we do have, uh, as of last year, uh, given the growth on conventional side, we were still after being 12% organic in 2008, uh, we had dropped down to 10% yet organic in 2009. So, Joel, why is
1: it that the milk prices are going up in the store, but you're not seeing a greater return on your investment?
0: Oh, uh, That's a very good question, Melinda, and there, there is an answer to it, though most of industry would deny it, and the government and USDA especially may deny it. But it's because of the pricing structure that we have, And there's two things that kind of led to the way milk is priced today. And one of the first things is 1981, President Reagan ended the last remaining philosophy of what's called parity pricing. And under parity, that guaranteed a certain value of the dollar returned back to the farmer. So as consumers incomes and other things were adjusted for inflation and, and to equal the cost and what the dollar can buy, it used to be guaranteed that a farmer would always receive 80% of parity. That was ended by President Reagan, because he said that with you know the markets the way they were, that the market would take care of itself and farmers would be fine. While we saw the largest exodus of farmers in 1980, then we probably ever seen since the Depression, just because the roller coaster of prices and the lows were so low that a lot of farmers just gave up. Mm -hmm. And then in 1996, we went to what's called component pricing, and USDA and industry will tell you that farmers chose this pricing mechanism, but that is completely false in a sense because We found out from market administrators and officials within the federal milk marketing orders that once the idea of component pricing was put out there and it was put up for a vote, that the largest co-ops who block vote, which means that their board doesn't allow their producers to vote on their own, they decide for the whole group as one that all USDA had to do was call three or four of the largest co-ops in each federal order and know the outcome of the election. And so farmers never seen a ballot. Wow. And the principle between behind component pricing is that the end value of a product decides the value of, of farmer's milk. And so what we have is that cheddar cheese sets the protein value, which is one of the components that farmers get paid on. Then you get paid on butter fat. So the butter industry sets the value, butter in the butter industry sets the value for butter fat. And the third component that farmers get paid on is called other solids, which pretty much ends up being determined by the value of, of whey. And whey is a product left over from the cheese manufacturing process and is sold sometimes in wet form, but a lot of times in dry form. And so the people that designed this figured that, you know, these market signals would be fair enough to determine a fair price for farmer's milk. You know, as as consumer prices and markets went up, farmers would see better prices. But if there was overproduction or low consumer demand, they would fall back and farmers would be paid accordingly. But the piece, that Washington and people don't understand is that agricultural markets do not self-correct. And what happens is, is every farmer has to milk his cows every day. And so no matter what, that milk goes into the system in, in whichever way it will. And you can't control that end of it. It's just the way it is, and you have to deal with it. Well, they always say that farmers overproduce. Well, what happens is is that actually happens in reverse is that when farmers start losing income, they usually try to produce more milk because they have to still pay their bills with less income. And so you have sort of the opposite effect. But what has really happened then is that industry fills out a report called that is done by the National Agricultural Statistics Service. And that service makes random phone calls to cheese manufacturers, butter manufacturers, and whey manufacturers, and also for non fat dry milk. And they report this to USDA, and then in turn, USDA puts all these values into a formula that then determines the class 3 price for milk. And class 3 is the price the base price for all dairy farmers' milk in the U.S. Well, the truth about this pricing system is that, in the end, farmers' milk production is not a deciding factor or an impact. We have found that consumer demand is not a leading player in what happens. You you can look at this a lot of different ways, but it comes down to the value of milk down to a 99% accuracy is determined by the Chicago Mercantile Exchange cash cheddar price. And whatever that price is, is what farmer's milk price is. And Kraft food controls that market at will, being the largest cheese manufacturer in the U.S. And so for every one cent that the 40-pound cash cheddar market drops makes Kraft 10 million. And so when you drop that that market by a dollar, which Kraft did over a year and a half ago, farmers directly saw the brunt and, and ramifications of that in just horrifically low milk prices, and these never reflect what consumers ever actually paid in the store.
1: Right. If you're just joining us, we're speaking with Joel Greenow, who is a family dairy farmer in Kendall, Wisconsin, and he is trying to help me understand why when I go to the grocery store, why when we all go to the grocery store, milk prices keep going up, and yet dairy farmers, small family dairy farmers, are losing their farms in record numbers. Joel, when we had a, when we were talking before our interview, I had asked you what can consumers do to help protect family dairy farmers. I mean, ideally, I would like to be able to buy milk directly from the farmer and eliminate the middleman. The other issue, though, that you brought up that I was not familiar with, and I, I would like for you to explain it, is this milk protein concentrate. Tell me what that is and. How that harms the small family dairy farmer?
0: Very good question, Melinda. And it, and it plays directly into the scenario I was just laying out with Kraft being the major decider in farmer's milk price. And what happens is, you know, they say that, well, it's all about the market and supply and demand, which is not the case. Um, in 2008... They said farmer's milk prices collapsed because of uh, oversupply of milk and low demand, and we found that not to be true. And we've actually found through ERS data and USDA data that milk production was down, that consumer demand for dairy was actually up like 2.6%. But this product, Milk Protein Concentrate, is a foreign powder that is imported in the United States as a chemical. So it does not fall under quotas and tariffs for dairy products or other food products. Its original purpose and use was in the manufacture of paint and glue. But Kraft, a major user of milk protein concentrate, was sold the idea by Fonterra, the largest milk ingredient dealer in the world out of New Zealand, that if you use milk protein concentrate, which you can buy very cheap on the market, you can add it to your cheese vats and increase your yields by probably 20 to 30% and <clears throat> make a lot more money. So, and so here we have basically an artificial product creating the illusion of oversupply And so a big thing that consumers can do is when they go to the grocery store and buy those cheese slices for this summer's cheeseburgers, look for the ingredient milk protein concentrate and know that you are buying a fake artificial product because it is not legal according to FDA standards to use this product in food. And I believe the last I heard, milk protein concentrate could now be found In over 1,900 different food products in the U.S.
1: Wow. Where is it coming from, Joel?
0: Well, another good question. A lot of it is coming out of India. Some is even coming out of China, even given the uh, malamine scares in patent human food over the last few years. And even some comes out of regions of the Ukraine in in the areas of Chernobyl and have even been found to... contain high levels of radiation, and there was one known documented case where 6,000 metric tons of radioactive MPC had went to Japan, and they rejected it, but yet that boat set sail for the U.S., and the U.S. never blinked an eye in accepting all 6,000 metric tons. And this (laughs) ends up in our food, and many of these countries don't even milk dairy cows as we know other uh, milk and goats, sheep, yak, water buffalo and other animals. It all gets mixed together and gets dried and processed and turned into milk protein concentrate because it's easily stored, easily shipped and then easily and cheaply obtained by companies in the US like Kraft and Leprino's.
1: Now you told me that some of the major pizza houses like Pizza Hut and Domino's, they're big users of the milk protein concentrate. Is that correct?
0: Well, the company I just mentioned, Leprinos, yes. is the manufacturer of the cheese. I guess we'll call it cheese. It shouldn't be because it's now artificial, once containing milk protein concentrate. And they sell to all of the major cheese manufacturers like Pizza Hut, Domino's. And these companies have been made aware of it and still would rather sell inferior products to its customers for the sole purpose of profit.
1: Now, Joel, the Department of Justice, I understand, is having a meeting in Wisconsin specifically for dairy farmers. Is it on June 7th? Do I have that date correctly?
0: Well, that, that was the correct date. It now has been pushed back. Um, it's not for certain. It's looking like it may now be June 25th. okay. How
1: can people learn more about that meeting, and if they want to get their comments in, would they go to the Family Farm Defenders website? or Is yeah, there probably
0: the National Family Farm Coalition website. They'll okay. have uh, all of the details on the upcoming DOJ meeting and also by the Family Farm Defenders. We had been planning each of our annual meetings, summer conference around that meeting, and have now find ourselves scrambling to notify guests of the change in date. So we kind of are uh, up in the air on things right now, but hoping for a good turnout for that hearing.
1: Well, it's interesting that it's happening in Dairy Month, right? They're having the Department of Justice meetings. I want to let our listeners know that they're about these two websites, Joel, because these are really important places to keep up to date. And if you're as alarmed as I am about, you know, when I first learned about milk protein concentrate, I was shocked. So a really good source for information on this is familyfarmdefenders.org. You can just Google that, and it's simply www.familyfarmdefenders, all one word, .org. And then the National Family Farm Coalition, another excellent source to learn more about what's happening to dairy farmers and the dairy farm crisis, and that's simply www.nffc.net. And again, that stands for National Family Farm Coalition. So, Joel, we're on your side here as consumers and supporters of small family farmers, and I wish there was a way to buy directly from you. Are more dairy farmers, how are dairy farmers, the ones that are surviving, how are they surviving?
0: It's a really good question. Right now it's nothing short of a miracle how they've managed to hang on this long. A lot of them have off-farm jobs trying to maintain things. They have sold everything they can possibly sell. You know, they've probably sold young stock and everything else to maintain their actual milking herds. They've sold machinery and equipment. You know, anything that isn't nailed down almost has been gotten rid of just to find funds to keep going. And many, many of the farms that are, are still surviving are long, long, long established family farms and maybe went into the crisis with less debt mm-hmm. than the others. Mm-hmm.
1: Because your feed costs are likely going up as well too, right?
0: Well, you know, and, and that's one um, piece of misinformation that has circulated is that, well, all farmers did so well in 2008, they should have been able to absorb all this. But I just, a report that Tufts University did on the subject said that because of escalating costs in 2008, that even though farmers received record high gross for the year, they also had record low nets. Mm-hmm. And it's just because. Everything they made had to be put right back into the farm because of escalating expenses. And so we went into this horrible crisis in 2009 with empty pockets and, and then not seeing any recovery yet here in 2010.
1: Joel, if something happens, if, if we lose our, something is happening, if we lose our small family dairy farmers, where will our milk come from?
0: Well, I don't know, I guess if uh, these handful of mega farms that are corporate owned may be able to continue to exist, but you know that in the end would be the source of their milk, you know the five to ten to twenty thousand cow dairy operations. not a way I would ch- choose to raise or keep my cows, but you know if consumers don't take the initiative to find out why what they pay for dairy products doesn't make its way to farmers, it's not going to be a good outcome.
1: Well, I think that we feel somewhat disempowered in the big picture. You know, we we feel like, yes, we feel your pain, but we don't know how to help. So would you leave us with a charge? We just have one minute. Is it to reject any dairy products that contain the MPC in it?
0: I guess that's one step. You know, it's probably going to be one of the few things that the consumer out there can do, other than to take an interest and get involved in some of the organizations like Family Farm Defenders, Food and Water Watch, National Family Farm Coalition. You know, make a phone call to a congressman or senator.
1: What's the ask, Joel?
0: Well, you know, that farmers got to have cost of production. We, We can't continue to operate our farms on nothing we got to have income, and we deserve to at least recover the cost of producing the milk. Instead of just going into debt, we just uh, had a farm that sold out here that was milking 250 cows. And he was asked why he was selling out now. And he said if he sold all of his cattle, all of his land, all of his equipment, and all of his facilities right now, he might walk away from a multimillion-dollar operation with $200,000. If he waited a month, he would leave with absolutely nothing.
1: Well, Joel, I want to thank you very much. Uh, we have been speaking with Joel Greeno. He is a family farmer in Kendall, Wisconsin. He's a dairy farmer with a wonderfully small herd that's very well taken care of. And please stay informed on this issue. You know, milk is one of those basic foods that we all our families. So go to the Family Farm Defenders website at familyfarmdefenders.org. You can also buy cheese there from that site I'd like to mention, as well as the National Family Farm Coalition. Joel, thank you so much for being with us.
0: Hey, thanks for having me, Melinda.
1: And thank you for everyone who listened. And a quick reminder that Food Sleuth Radio is produced at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri.